Welcome to episode 213 of the No Proscenium Podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro Studio in Los Angeles. That's the kitchen table. This week on the show, we have Graham Wetterhan, who is the founder, executive producer, and artistic director of After Hours Theater Company. Um, they recently put on the first Los Angeles Immersive Invitational, where we had a whole bunch of amazing artists come together. Uh, four teams came together to uh, create work in a 48-hour film festival format. Um, but this is not the first time After Hours has experimented in the immersive and sensorial space. Of course, you probably know them from the production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which happened last year. And uh, they recently did a, a multi-sensory uh, edition of uh, the last five years of the musical uh, here in Los Angeles. All right, so that's the minor setup. Let's take care of a few bits of business. But before I do the Patreon bit, I want to tell you some stuff. We're gonna we're gonna reverse order here. Uh oh, don't fast forward yet because I've got something to share that you're going to enjoy. If you check the show notes out over at nopersinium.com or indeed in your podcatcher, there will be a link to the IDS videos. Yes, the IDS videos for 2019, the Immersive Design Summit videos are live. Uh, there's there's a couple of holdouts um, that are you know getting cleared, but the videos are live. Uh, we're going to be dropping some into social channels and whatnot. So for all of you who are like, where's the videos? Where's the videos? Well, they, they are, they're here now. Uh, yes, I know. Not a lot of fanfare. Yes. It takes a very long time to get this stuff done. Yes. We're working on those processes for going forward. Trust me on that one. Um, people who are asking, Hey, when's the next IDS? Well, We've got some announcements coming soon about the future of the project and everyone's involvement in it. And a lot of that comes down to there are venue negotiations going on and those are complicated. So the last thing I wanted to do was to jump out and say, hey, everybody, it's going to be these dates in this place and not have that happen because that would suck. But... We are close. <laughs> it's driving me nuts. Have you ever seen me out in public and I'm like, <laughs> it's, pro it's probably this thing. Um, but to tide you over, tons of videos, uh, just amazing talks from all kinds of incredible people. And the best part is I get to watch them too now because when I produced that show, I didn't get to watch anything. Um, so yeah, we get to play together. You'll find that on the Immersive Design Summit channel on YouTube. They are all up in there and there's a link to that in the show notes. Other things that are coming this week, speaking of design summits, um, the Denver Immersive Retrospectacle happened last month. Uh, our correspondent in Denver, Danielle Luck, released uh, her highlights uh, from that. That is on the website this week. You can still find it on the front page. Uh, I believe there's also a link in there to her expanded notes because she took notes on stuff. Um, 
Also on the website right now, you're going to find uh, an interview with Nick Reinwell Jones of Spy Brunch because uh, here in LA, uh, Cold War Lounge, the asset, which he wrote, is opening this week. It's got a, it's got a short run just for this week. And then uh, Safe House 82, which is the sequel to Safe House 77, uh, is going to be opening in November. All of this is spy themed. The company's name is Spy Brunch. Um, so we talked to him about spies. And instead of, yeah, so like instead of just doing like a, Hi, Nick. So um, your shows are good. Oh, could you tell us about your shows? Um, instead of doing that, uh, we did that. Plus, we asked him about his favorite spies, the most underrated spies. And it is a banger of an interview. I learned things about espionage in this interview. Um, it's just a joy. Um, if, if you like spies, go read the interview. You might you might learn something. Um, and actually there's, there's a note I have to send Nick, uh, cause, uh, there was a spy show he didn't know. And I'm like, well, you gotta watch it. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not an espionage fan to the degree to which, to which Nick is. Uh, I, I kind of feel like to do that, you have to have read Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. But that being aside, since I haven't, I haven't read my Leclerc, I just said that wrong. Don't care. Um, <laughs> cause I haven't read <laughs> that. Uh, there are a few things that I still enjoy. Um, particularly British spy series. So moving forward, because I can nerd out about that forever. Um, also, over on the NoPro YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash NoProsinium. I don't know why. YouTube is terrible. Um, you're going to find a banger of a conversation about pop-ups that was on the live stream this week. We had Blake and Cheyenne and Catherine and uh, just the best conversation we've had yet. Uh, we jump in on things like the Museum of Ice Cream's valuation. Uh, we talk about show fields. We talk about the Museum of uh, Future Experiences. We talk about uh, some educational things. It just it just goes everywhere and anywhere. Um, my recommendation is you treat it like a podcast, you know, because uh, the video is just unstable. Uh, but that is the nature of the beast. We're keeping on working on it. One day, when we're properly funded, we'll just, you know, use some paid software and make it work properly. Uh, but until that day, until all are one, you can find us every Tuesday at 7 o'clock on the No Persinium YouTube channel live streaming. Next week's show is Everything Else, which means it's our pop culture show. And this is going to be, I swear, until 2020, our last talk about Galaxy's Edge. Note that I did not say our last talk about Star Wars. Our last talk about Galaxy's Edge. Uh, we're bringing in an all-star team. We got Jeff Heimbuck from Horror Buzz, uh, who read all of the books before he went to Batu. We've got Emmett Fury, uh, who is a transmedia producer. Uh, he works on a little game called Ingress that you might have heard of. That's the Niantic game that is why Pokemon Go exists. Um, and uh, he's he's got, uh, he, he's as obsessed with Batu as I am. And of course, Anthony, um, AKA Roan, because uh, we're going to be using our Batu names. <laughs> uh, we'll all be on there. And we're going to be talking about the transmedia, uh, the all the tie-ins, the stories, the lore of Galaxy's Edge. I'm in the middle of reading Delilah Dawson's uh, Black Spire, uh, and I'm going to try and also cram in A Crash of Fate. Uh, I've just been running around like a madman and haven't had enough time to read Star Wars novels, which is when I just question my own existence. Like, how is that even possible? Um, 
and I will be fresh from a trip to Batu because uh, Zay Amsbury, our erstwhile New York coordinator, uh, uh, my, my lifelong friend uh, who's been traveling the world, is about to go off-world with me. We're taking Zay, Anthony and I are taking Zay to Batu on Monday, and we're very excited. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm such a nerd. I can't just, it's bad. It is bad. Hey, um, you don't want to know about any more of that stuff, but just know if, if you care and you're a Patreon backer, uh, or we'll, we'll, we'll get some early reactions from Zay. Uh, I just, I just like recording grown men crying when they see Star Wars for the first time. Okay. Um, <laughs> speaking of the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash no proscenium is how you help us survive. Um, it is um, my main source of income now, which is terrifying. $1,520 a month is what we're pulling in from 268 patrons. Thank you so much for making that possible. Um, we're down eight bucks and up one patron uh, for the top of the month. That is kind of normal. Uh, I am hoping that we can clear... 1600 by the end of the month that's 80 bucks that's a lot if you um value all the stuff that we do and we're trying to do more for you all the time please uh kick into the kitty because every dollar that goes in here is a dollar i don't have to earn as a freelancer it means more time spent on the main project jamie shaw and sydney guillory are our latest backers to join thank you both so much the sustaining backers of no proscenium are mark baltazar jan budman paul f lonnie hands on ari hurston sam kinkin and samuel mustry hey there are other ways to support us um i don't scream about it a lot but i do have consulting rates for those who want it um it i I'm super flexible about it. You can email me Noah at noprecinium.com. It's on the Patreon as well. There are rules about when, you know, if we consult on things, how we cover them. Namely, if I consult on something, I cannot write about it. Uh, I certainly can't review and I don't really want to preview uh, as well. So uh, just maximum radical transparency there. Uh, but that is what we do. Uh, also when I, I go in early sometimes to shows and give folks notes, uh, I will send someone else to review. Um, it, this is a tiny, small, tight knit community. Uh, my ideal version of all of this is just that, and indeed you'll see it as we, we, we roll it all out is there's just the entity that exists that produces this stuff. And then, uh, and that's what gets funded. And then that pays the salaries. And then, um, I, I, I don't have to put a cap out and say like, Hey, I'm available, but I am, um, I know a thing or two. If you think it's valuable, think you can help out. Hit me up, hit me up. I, however, do not do hair and makeup. Uh, that is not what the HMU stands for, for me. Okay. Now, I think we tell the stories in this piece. So I'm not, I'm not going to do too much more of a setup. Just know, uh, Graham is a delight. Uh, this is a fun conversation. And um, yeah, let's let's go in. Uh, this company emerged uh, as all things do seemingly overnight, but actually had some stuff going on uh, before they emerged overnight. And uh, they are increasingly getting into our immersive interactive space. And I'm just really excited to see where After Hours goes as the years and years go on. So let's get into the interview right now.
Graham, we're going to get into the story of how we wound up kind of working together on a project. Yeah. Like sort of working. Like I was, I was sure. Yeah, no, we did. Yeah. Bits and I don't want to, I don't want to, you guys did all the, the real work. So I don't want to, I don't want to claim credit where, <laughs> where it's not. It's like, I mean like an email or two, um, about the immersive invitational, which just happened a couple of weeks ago, Definitely. uh, as we're recording this, which has been one of the highlights of my summer here in LA. Awesome. Um, but first I want to talk to you about your company after hours theater company, which the immersive crowd may know from the production of one flew over the cuckoo's nest that you guys did last year Yeah, and the production of the last five years. Did I get that right? Yeah. Last five years. (laughs) Keep, I've got it in my, I've got it in my, I didn't, as you can tell, I don't use notes. I just try and use my brain. Uh, the last five years, uh, which and also like Anthony did the review on that one, so it'd be yeah, like, right, of course. Oh yeah, like, if I'd seen the show, I'd like I know the show off the top. That of was head. that was an immersive adjacent show too. That wasn't uh, it, we called it a multi sensory experience. So we were incorporating we we had like a, a some um, we incorporated sense and taste, and I'll talk about sort of the the motivation behind that that later. But what yeah. I mean, we'll, yeah, we're definitely going to jump in into that, and we're going to get into how the the invitational came along. But like for those who don't know. Um, What's sort of the backstory on After Hours? After Hours Theater Company started, uh, I went to school at UCLA. I did not major in theater. I majored in, I double majored in communications and political science and double minored in film and environmental geography. And that's not ambitious at all. No, mostly it just means I had no idea what I wanted to do and I knew exactly where I was going after I graduated. And that is, I'm a fourth or fifth generation, depending on how you count it. I'm a fifth generation insurance agent. Very exciting. So we have a family insurance agency. And so I knew pretty much no matter what I was doing after school, at least part of the time I was going to be working in the insurance agency. And, and I've been working there on and off, you know, since I was a kid. Um, but, I, you know, insurance, while there are creative elements to insurance, nobody would. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not too creative or that it becomes problematic. Right. right. But, but, you know, yeah, nobody, you know, nobody would accuse insurance agenting being a creative industry per se. So I, you know, I wanted to have sort of a creative outlet after after work because, uh, well, I didn't major in in theater. We did have a very large uh, student run theater company in at UCLA called Hooligan Theater Company. That's where a lot of people in LA, uh, the UCLA crowd, all all came from, like Sarah and KJ, Johnny Pearl from from uh, Shinbone Theater Company, and a lot of my collaborators. We all met just doing theater together at UCLA because we had this huge like three or four hundred person company oh, wow. that we would all run. Yeah. Um, and I, like one I, company run by 300 people? I mean, that's like it, a yeah, wolf. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it had yeah. up to 300 members at any given yeah. time. I think the staff was like 70 or 80 of us. Holy, um, holy cow. Yeah. How, how big is the theater department at UCLA? So none of, very few of us were actually TFT no at way. the time. Yeah, yeah, because if the, the problem with UCLA theater, uh, theater school was that you ha- in order to do their shows, you had to be in TFT. And right. so a lot of us, you know, did that as like our primary extracurricular in high school, which is like how we got into UCLA. And so a lot of us, you know, were academic, but we kind of just missed having the creative outlet or doing theater. So there was this really large, very like professionally run student theater company, which is cool. Cause like how often does like an 18 to 20 year old get like, here's a $300,000 budget, like go. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the school would give us some of it. We would raise some of it. Yeah. We would pay some of it. Um, I was never the executive producer. I started as, as an actor primarily and then uh, worked my way to being a director. And I was the casting director as well. The company. Oh wow! That's, yeah, I I did not. I I mean, you, I have a theater degree, and every school has like some kind of like student run group. Like we had a at state, we had a 
theater collective called the Players Club, and it it had three functions: produce the big student show each year, yeah, which um, which is what you got elected to do. So you got elected into office. So elected into office, you had to produce the big student show. So that was that was the perk you got. Uh, you had to run the the concession stand for all of the shows, yeah, uh, which you also kept open, um, you know, during the day. So you, you made your money that way. So lots. Of, so that meant going to Costco runs and stocking up and keeping the office open. Uh, and there was this little little room off the side of uh, the theater lobby is where we we had our stuff, and then uh, you know throw the. Uh, through the opening night cast parties in the paint shop. Yeah. So those are our three. <laughs> so those are our three functions: produce, DJ, get everybody drunk, uh, and uh, and keep the keep keep the sodas flowing. So I, I threw a lot of parties, and I, I honestly think that my party throwing was maybe the most useful skill I learned in college because the sort of the mentality of like the the thought process and the the way you organize a apartment party is almost identical to how I sort of think about producing a show. Mm. It's very similar in terms of like having to pre-plan and the work that goes into like before and after and thinking about like user experience during the party. If you want, you know, how, how are they going to move around the space? So it, it was actually, uh, actually, you know, I, I think a lot of, a, I, I've talked to, I mean, you know, people like Justin Fix, right? He started in, I think, event planning and hospitality as well. So it's, it's pretty common in producers that they started in some sort of hospitality uh industry yeah event planning. It, it, well there's definitely yeah i mean if you're because if you can entertain people with the bare bones then you can you instantly start getting like a little more ambitious you know like you're like okay what, what would happen if i had more of a budget or you know okay uh not just not just a cd player uh yeah like, what, what, what can we do to like get the music even better in here oh let's drag in the speakers from the sound lab okay great you know right what's what's the next thing we're gonna do uh and you just keep on trying to make it better because if nothing else you know you get you get bored a little bit of doing the same thing oh the yeah so you, you want to do the next one a little bit and better the next one a little bit weirder and yeah. the, in the fraternity once a quarter we were in the quarterly system at ucla they would throw what's called like a quarterly this is a big themed party that you know that would all the most of the party budget of the quarter would go towards and those were like one of our big art staple party was jungle party and what that entailed was people going basically through bel-air and like trimming off like banana leaves and palm fronds of people's trees in the middle of the night. They called it midnight gardening. I did not partake in that. Um, <laughs> and we, you know, we would like zip tie an entire jungle onto the inside of the house and, and we built like waterfalls off the roofs and out of windows. And, and, and so you, you really got a sense of like a creative, immersive sort of environment, you know, even though it was just a frat party, I think there was still a lot of like, like I said, the same sort of planning, the same sort of design mentality, the same sort of organizing larger groups of people, um, so I don't think many people would be like, oh, fraternity, obviously become a theater producer, but th there actually is quite a lot of parallel. Um, but anyway, so, so I, I did that, graduated college, you know, thought, oh, maybe I'll, I'll probably never do much of this again. And, uh, about a year and a half, two years into doing insurance, I said, man, I really need an evening creative outlet. And so a few of my friends from college and I started talking, Hey, let's produce, you know, just like a, a weekend show or something like that, just for fun, just to get back you know, out there because it, it was, we enjoy, you know, it's fun. It's, it's a good way to hang out with friends. And, uh, we did a three night show in like a 40 person theater of a show called edges, which was by Pasek and Paul who wrote like La La Land and Dear Van Hansen, um, or did the, the lyrics for La La Land, greatest showman. And, uh, I think we had like 20 people in the audience on average, all of those three nights. I actually got vertigo. So I only saw two of the shows, even though I was the director and the, the producer. <laughs> I saw one of the three shows because I was sick the other two nights. And that was our very auspicious beginning. 
Uh, and then I just was like, oh, this is really cool. And I always consider that sort of like a project zero, like, you know, how do I get insurance for things? How do I book a venue? How do I get rights? Sort of like, you know, I considered it kind of like producer grad school. And from there we did a two weekend, three person show, then a three weekend, six person show. Then the next year we did a 15 person six band you know show and each show we'd also add like design elements so we'd start with like very minimal design then we'd add like a more professional lighting designer and a costume designer so like i'd choose a period piece because we needed more costume design for that so sort of just to gradually grow and kind of learn as i did i i, I said gradually a lot of this took place over the course of about a year so we were pretty much consistently producing for about a year this is all traditional theater none of this is immersive at this point um and then i uh 2017 was sort of, I think, our big breakout project. That's when we did a show called, uh, oh, and I started producing really the end of 2015, 2016. Uh, and then in 2017, we did a show called Dogfight, which was also by, by Pasek and Paul. And they, uh, it happened to be running during the Tonys when Dear Evan Hansen w won all the things, which I did intentionally. And so we got really lucky because uh, there was a lot of interest in them at the time. And so the LA Times came out even though we're like a pretty unknown company at the time. Like that was the one with the 15 actors yeah, and um, full band. And it got like really good reviews. We were in LA Times Critics Choice. We were uh, ovation recommended. And then ultimately we were nominated for four ovations, uh, including best musical, best intimate musical, uh, which for those of you that I'm sure most people do not know, ovations are sort of like the largest LA theater award. Yeah, like they're... They're not quite uh, the Tony of Los Angeles, yeah. but that's the closest parallel. I mean, maybe, maybe more kind of like... A little closer, maybe to Drama Desk. Well, or they, they are yeah. the the yeah. West. They are the Los Angeles branch of the Drama Desk. Yeah, well, that's actually gonna, what they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but they are the biggest theater award in LA uh, in terms of pure voting. And so so that was pretty cool because we were. I was at the time I, I was the youngest producer ever nominated for that award. Uh, I still am. I'm I'm the youngest for a musical. The next year for Cuckoo's Nest for a straight play, and then obviously for multiple. So that's pretty a pretty cool claim to fame. Because now you just gotta like make sure that no one else ever. No, I I, I hope somebody is. I just think it's hard because you know how do you get the money for it? How do you get the the organization? It, it's you know producing theater is is not a young person's sport, right? Yeah. I mean it can be, but usually the people that do it young are doing it for some sort of like. Um, vanity project because yeah. they're trying to further their well, acting well, careers well and that's what's interesting about you is that like i, I know you're putting your own resources into this stuff yeah. uh and and you were the director on the first piece but like you've you've stepped into that producer artistic director yeah. role and like you're bringing in other you're bringing people to direct you're 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 seeking out the rights like you are already thinking like a producer and a theater company runner and not just like oh i want to get me out in front of everybody. I, I, I think initially, I, the, the first show I produced and directed, and I think I always assumed I'd probably like want to act in something. And then I, you know, I, I kind of uh, got addicted to producing because when you act, when you get a laugh, you know, I'll use this sort of as an example. When you act and like you tell a joke and you get a laugh, that feels really good. When you direct and the, it, anytime the audience laugh for, laughs for any of the actor's jokes, you kind of feel that same sort of like uh, serotonin, is that the word? Like that, yeah. that, that feeling, that good you, you feeling. You get that like a I did little that. rush. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then producer, that kind of just gets put on steroids because every decision, good or bad, ultimately was, was, can be traced back to you. And so, so, you know, when the show is good, it just feels absolutely incredible. So it is sort of, I, you know, there, it's not really egotistical, but there is sort of like a good, I, I feel, you know, I, I really enjoyed that feeling. Yeah, but you're, but you're, you're either, cagey enough 
clever enough or, or have enough resources where you don't have to put yourself on the front line for everything. Right. So you're not, you're not trying to wear all the hats, right? Like that. No, and that, that was, that yeah. was very intentional. Yeah. I, I think when I, when I, I realized in order to produce well, I can't wear multiple hats because if I was wearing, if I was trying to act or trying to direct and produce, I just wouldn't be able to do either of them well. And I was like, I at least need to learn how to fully produce. Then maybe I can get some partners and stuff and then I can step into another role. But, but I, I kind of started liking producing because I, a lot of people think of producers as purely like money people. And I think I, I, and I think an immersive, this is not necessarily as true, but I think there's a lot of, I really enjoy artistic producing. So it's almost like, I kind of direct the overall production and the director quote unquote directs, you know, collaborates with me is kind of more in charge of the actors and I'd be more in charge of the overall production. If that sort of makes sense. I don't know if producer is even really always the correct title. Um, but like, like for example, Cuckoo's Nest and we'll talk about that. That was really my concept that came to me between 120 to 140 AM. And I was just like, Oh yeah, this is what we're going to do. And then I just put the team together around that idea. So I don't usually get pitched. I usually come up with the idea. Yeah. So take us through Cuckoo's Nest because you you took uh, you took the play based on Ken Kesey's novel, yeah, and uh, you guys kind of in, encapsulated it in uh, in an there was an onboarding process and there was a, a prologue, sure, yeah. Uh, and so how how did this become your putting your because dipping toe is the wrong word. You just kind of like stuck a foot. In the, yeah. in the immersive field. Like you just, you uh, got up, maybe even up to the knee, right? There's yeah. Some wet socks, if nothing else. How, how did we go from zero to that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so all, we, we kind of got through dogfights, and then Cuckoo's Nest was the project after dogfight. Uh, KJ, uh, Sarah, Sarah Beale, and KJ Nees is who I'm talking about. They do a lot in immersive. KJ, I think, is a, a no pro writer sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, and they're very good. Uh, Sarah was one of my best friends in college. KJ, I met through Sarah. And, uh, so he, they had seen dogfight and KJ was like, man, this like, this seems really cool. You're, you know, cause we were sold out and it, it was just a really high energy show. And he was like, you should really try doing something immersive. Cause they were doing their VR stuff at the time before the VR bubble sort of burst. Um, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I've always wanted to kind of try something more than just traditional proscenium theater. But, uh, you know, I, I want to sort of, before I put in too much resources into it, I want to experiment with it and he's like yeah let's do like a, a one or two weekend show we'll put a couple thousand dollars into it just to like learn how to do immersive <laughs> techniques uh, that never happened yeah um, <laughs> that's why i started laughing so like, i don't remember that part nope that part didn't happen so what it was is we were trying to find a show i remember he like had proposed like oh yeah i saw this one show that like took place in the kitchen and like people were like having sex i'm like no we're not going to do sex kitchen um <laughs> And I, but we were looking for shows. I mean, there's a couple of shows. Uh, we were looking for shows that took place in like one, one or two locations that had a clear role for the audience and a reason for them being there. Uh, and for me, I, I really wanted something to bridge the gap between. I had started seeing a lot of immersive and interactive and, and VR stuff, and I, I thought it was really cool. And I wanted to, you know, the traditional theater community is not always as cool, but I thought there's so much crossover. And it's so weird to me that the quote unquote traditional theater community and the sort of immersive interactive community and VR communities were so separate. I knew there's very little crossover. And I said, I love both of these. I want to sort of create a hybrid that allows the traditional people to experience an immersive or interactive show in sort of a safe way and to allow immersive and interactive people to see a traditional theater piece in sort of a, a fun way. Uh, and 
so I, we were talking, you know, maybe about a four person or five actor show, small, and I just wasn't finding anything that I liked. And I, I read the first five pages of Cuckoo's Nest at like 1.30 in the morning. And just immediately it was so clear because it, all of the stage direction was telling you what to do with your audience. It was like, okay, alarm comes off, nurses bring medication to the audience. Okay, there's another alarm goes off, everybody gets in a therapy circle. And in the play, there's only five or six you know, principal characters, but in the book and in the movie, there's tons and tons and tons of additional patients. So I was like, what if we just make the audience those additional patients that aren't the core part of, of the of the uh, the play because uh, the play you know it's it's a two and a half hour play so they have to edit out a lot of the 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 nuance from the book which I think makes I don't really care as much for the play as I do for the book the book um, yeah the book is the book's one uh, is an old favorite I mean studied in high school yeah and like it's it remains I mean it's it's depressing as oh all sure hell but there's I don't know uh, yeah like <laughs> sure I, I you know I thought it was it was a good IP that would that would bring in uh, classic theater fans people who are film fans, people who are fans of the book, people who, you know, maybe would never go to see theater or immersive theater, right. but just like, oh, Cuckoo's Nest is a cool thing. And it's immediately clear, like, what is it? Oh, you're getting checked in as a patient to a mental hospital. Yeah. You don't have to oversell a show. It's a, it's a pretty clear elevator pitch. Uh, and so really, uh, I had the idea, like, between, like, 120 and 140. And I, I don't, it's hard to say, like, I had the idea because it came pretty fully formed. I think I'd been like circling the drain for six months trying to find something. And it just like, it all just clicked into place when I saw the script. I didn't even finish reading the script. I literally read like maybe seven pages of the script. Um, and by four o'clock in the morning, I had four or five producers on it by including KJ, uh, by within two days we had met with the director. Oh my God. Uh, I think this was like, I think we had, this was like December 19th or December 21st of 2017. And we were up in previews by the beginning of April. So it was like maybe three and a half months from conception to getting up. And, you know, this is like probably like a quarter of a million dollar production, you know, through including run costs and all is said and done. So this is not small. We were just yeah. foot on the gas the entire way, which sometimes I think is the best way to do a show. But it just it was like it felt right. So I was like, yeah, this feels like the correct. Sometimes I think when a project comes together so easy, that's how you know it's right. In the previous project, we had spent like nine months developing and there was like a lot of months that you just weren't doing anything. And I always felt very stagnant. So I kind of just like going, uh, you know, obviously in retrospect things, if we had some more time, I might've been able to do a little bit cheaper or a little bit smarter or better. But, but all in all, I think there's something really exciting about that energy. One thing that's sort of unusual about us is um, we were entirely pretty much under the age of 30. A few of the actors were, were over 30. And I think my costume designer, was over 30, but otherwise everybody on the team was under 30. And I think that's important um, in the traditional theater community for a number of reasons, uh, especially when trying to get people to do immersive. And this is something I ran into with a little bit of greater difficulty during last five is when you're at the beginning of your career uh, and on all these people are really good. They were also the, basically I was trying to create like an under 30 all-star team. So I took like yeah. everybody who was nominated for an ovation under 30. I was like, yo, you want to do this project? And, uh, and you know, everyone's game. Cause I think when you're at the kind of the beginning of your career to do something bold and crazy, you don't really have anything to lose. Uh, and when you're at the really, really established, taking a weird risk, isn't that risky cause your next job's coming. Yeah. It's the people that are sort of in the middle of their careers that really get nervous about taking risks and become risk averse, or maybe it's just the wrong people. But I, I, I 
in, in, in last five, for example, me and, and one key member of my production team, they were, they, they had a little bit of a bigger difficulty taking risks, which I, th- I think hurt the overall experience. I mean, the, the show, the show is great, but, but my personally, I think we could have done more with it and gone a little bit more in the immersive and experimental route. I think what we ended up with is a little bit more traditional than I had intended. Um, not that it was traditional by any sense of the word, but, but, but that was because there was a lot of fear when you start working with older, more established artists. But conversely, we had a Tony nominee on the production team who was a sound designer. Her name's Cricket Meyer. She was the first female nominated for a sound design Tony, which is awesome. Uh, and she was just game to do anything. And so, but she didn't, you know, she didn't care because she had nothing to lose. She's like, I just want to do a, a fun project that's going to challenge me in an interesting way. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of the traditionalists have, you, you hear, you know, I remember my director, he was, he was, he was, I think 28 at the time, 27 or 28 at the time that we were producing Cuckoo's Nest. I was 26 and I turned 27 in the middle of the run. Um, and his like mentor from USC came in and during previews and was like, I, you know, the, the show is, is really beautiful, but like, I don't understand why the audience is in the therapy circles isn't in the world. It just, does, you know, it's not connecting with me. And, 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 you know, this is like a 75 year old traditional theater teacher and Jonathan, uh, you know, was just rattled. I remember he was like almost in, in tears, uh, after that, that run when he had talked to his, you know, this was like his mentor. And I, he said, do you think we should like get rid of this? I said, Jonathan, no, that's the whole point of the show. Yeah. Getting to sit next to an actor, you know, who, who's, who's pouring their heart out. That's the, the addictive part about what we're doing, you know, getting to talk to them and sit next to them. You know, the, his, his mentor was like, it was hard to f- figure out who was the audience and who was the performer. And, and, you know, the, you know, and you were like, that's, that's a I'm feature, like, not a bug. Right. Yeah, that's, like, that's I, the point yeah, of this the whole point. Like, yeah. yes, it's, you're right. This isn't a proscenium show, but that's, this show's not for him. This show is for the family that never goes to see theater. That's never had this kind of experience before. And that's one of the things when, when doing these shows that sort of, step between the two worlds. And I think there's a lot of shows in New York that I haven't caught that like they call themselves immersive, but they're kind of like these environmentally staged things that may not really cast the audience in the role of in the world, like, like great comet and a few others where like there's just, I, I loved, yeah. Great comet was a huge influence on cuckoo's nest. Yeah. Um, and also they, there was also a show Sweeney Todd. That was a big one. Sweeney Todd in a pie shop. It wasn't, it wasn't immersive. Yeah. realistically like they sort of built the theater to look like a pie shop but you didn't really have a you, they yeah. gave you a pie before the show started and like the room was sort of environmental but you weren't in the show in any capacity so i thought that was really i the show was great it was beautiful but it wasn't immersive so yeah. that was very unsatisfying to me yeah, so the, the, these things that kind of like tiptoe around though like it's still the idea is to it's like the virtue is why does it have to be on a stage why does it right. have to be in a frame? Like we 100%. watch everything we see on television, everything, all the movies we see, they're in that frame. Like, yeah. you know, uh, and, and, and sometimes, I mean, conversely, like people will come and say like, Oh, here's, we've done this immersive theater piece. It's like, you have actors in the VOM. Like that's not, that's right. not immersive right. actors in the VOM. Like, well, but, but the fact that so many people won't even put an actor in the VOM and it's like, we're, we're live. We're embodied beings. Like we, use everything like why not use the whole space why not go 360 like all the damn time you you touched on one of my sort of when when people i remember during cuckoo's nest you had some people who would you know on our like facebook advertisements and stuff would comment like oh you lost me at immersive this isn't you know my thing and i'm always like when i see those sorts of comments you know these are usually older like hardcore traditionalists in terms of the la theater community embracing cuckoo's nest 
Um, we, you know, for the ovation voters, it's a 250 person voting pool. Uh, we had over 100 voters see it, which is, I think, one of the most ever for an wow. intimate show. Yeah, and it was it was it was very very well received, and a lot of stuff has been. In, in fact, uh, we are finalists. I think I can say this. I don't think I signed anything that said we couldn't. Uh, we are finalists for Block Party. Uh, do you know what Block Party is? It's where the uh, Center Theater Group stages at the Kirk Douglas. Oh wow! So there's gonna, they're going to choose two shows, and we're we're in the final five for that. So we'll see if they want to do a, a purely immersive show. But us and, and Woodboy Dogfish are two of the finalists. For that so there's a pretty good chance you're gonna need to check some emails to make sure no 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 i mean they, they didn't say they didn't yeah. say that that we couldn't say anything that you know um but that's all but that that itself is exciting that like yeah two, two of the shows that are from companies that are that are in the relation because like when i think of when i think of the companies and we were talking a little bit before we we uh yeah we started the thing uh who are bridging the gaps or who are st- standing in both worlds. Like yeah. there's you guys, uh, there's rogue artist ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I f- often think of like what the speakeasy society does as being like the, the immersive interactive side of that spectrum, but still sure. on that spectrum. Cause they're sort of deconstructing traditional yeah, they theater. Have, they're pretty scripted works. usually. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was actually when, when I first encountered their work, I was like, by that point I had only seen dance stuff that maybe had uh, maybe had scripted elements to it but those were more kind of remix poetical elements than they were actually like dialogue and so I was like oh wow you can you could you can do a play you can do a play in immersive theater which is kind of what what they do um, or at least when they do their when they do big shows, when yeah. they do little little shows, kind of like stepping even further into into the immersive interactive space. Um, but yeah, like that that CTG is is looking at the folks and sort of looking to bring them into into their space because that's that that kind of institutional cracking. Because I know like they've they've and that they're doing it local. Because I know they've brought in like remote X before and they've brought people in from out of town yeah. to like do this sort of stuff, but they haven't necessarily turned internally uh, and particularly not to stuff that's already had a run and was proven out. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. And we had a lot of the, one of the fortunate things for us is that a lot of the, the CTG development people actually came to see Cuckoo's Nest when it was running. And I, I know from my friends who worked there, they really loved it, which is why I'm sure we're still, you know, in the running because to take the Kirk Douglas theater and do a, a, a semi-full-blown immersive show is, is, is very challenging. I mean, we'll have to adapt it a little bit if, if we're lucky enough to be chosen. Um, but I, I, I respect them for, for at least giving it a serious thought. I think that's that's really encouraging. And even a lot of the, the traditional companies, I was just talking to my, my friend today, uh, he'd seen a show at a, at a company called Antias Theater Company, which is known most for, for like really traditional classic theater. They're very, very excellent theater company in Los Angeles, one of the best. But you know they're they're hardcore classics and traditional theater, and they were saying that uh, the pre-show of their current show that uh, they have like a whole like seven-minute element of of at the top of the show that takes place in the lobby before entering the the actual theater space with actors all around. So I mean the fact that even traditional companies are starting to embrace getting off of the proscenium and doing stuff, uh, you know. All, all around, I think is really exciting. But but back to, back to my original point. Well, usually when people say like, oh, I, I the immersive theater is a cliche. You know, I I don't listen. I don't follow gimmicks. I think number one, there's a lot of either stuff that's claiming to be immersive that isn't, mm-hmm. or stuff that's just not very good. Um, 
uh, you know, unfortunately, that's true. But that's true for traditional theater. Yeah. True. I, I think. At, the, at the start of it, at the start of the Renaissance, I feel like we had like a nice, you know, 50-50 or maybe even 60-40 split in terms of what was good. Like, you know, you'd, you'd go out and like, you know, maybe better than half the time. Yeah. Like, oh, partly because it was, might have been something that was novel. It's like you hadn't seen yeah. something done like that before. But also people who were bold enough and daring enough to try out. And then once people start getting the word of like, oh, this stuff, this stuff sells out instantly. Like that was, that was the moment when the floodgates opened for a hot minute where it's like, oh, you can sell out your entire run just by announcing a show. And people were like flooding in. Yeah. And then we've slowly gone to about the traditional 80, 20, where like 80% of stuff is eh, and 20% of it's really, really good. And things are still, things can still sell out like right from the start. Sure. But then I always see when people like don't sell out right from the start and they're like, why, why didn't my show sell out the second I put tickets on sale? It's like, cause there's enough work going on. Like it's not, yep. it's not a rarity anymore. Like you're, you're going to have to make Prove a good yourself. show. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think the, the, the tragedy for folks is like when the back end of their show sells out and like not the front, like oh, that, what that it, always happens. Yeah. Cause like whatever, whatever's going on in people's schedules, you know, it's like, Oh, I can't see the beginning. So like I'll go see the end. And then they're like stuck in this position where it's like their first two weekends, their first two weekends are, are light, but then they've, they're the, already their back end is like filled up. This is like, I mean like even before this, they this open, is, like even before they open. Yeah. Right. And, oh, sure. and then, there's nowhere, there's no growth potential for them, right? There's no, there's no chance for them Except to build for extending potentially, right? If they can afford to get the space, right? right. Yeah. Uh, and th that's a common problem, not just in, in immersive and interactive, but in just theater and probably yeah. events in general. Um, that's one of the, the biggest challenges. Um, that's why we it, paper it's, the it's house. It's about a paper and discounting <laughs> yeah. and press and voters. Um, but anyway, so th I, usually the question when I get the skepticism, I say is, you know, we work in Los, we live in Los Angeles. We work in Los Angeles. Probably most of us are talented enough to make a lot more money working in film or TV. Why do so much, many of us spend so much of our time and energy and money doing theater? What is it about the medium that we, we love so much? And I've never heard a person say, because it takes place on a proscenium stage, <laughs> right? You know, usually people say, you know, something. I like going to a box and watching people. Yeah. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, I like watching basically live TV or movie. It's no, it's, it's usually something to the effect of, you know, because, uh, basically you can sum up all the answers in, in, in the, the statement because there is an energy exchange between the audience and the performance that doesn't exist in, in television or in film. And, you know, I guess sometimes if you're like watching a, a movie in a house, but still the movie doesn't change based on, mm -hmm. on, but you know, certainly the audience reaction helps enhance a movie experience. But, uh, but that feedback loop is real. Like when right. in a live theater, the feedback loop is real when you're performing of, even of a traditional show. And what's interesting about even with Broadway caliber performers who say, "Oh yeah, I do it the same every night." No, well, they no, don't. You don't. No, yeah, you're lying if you're saying that. Uh, like, or you just don't know yourself. You don't. You don't know what's actually going on in, inside. It's impossible because because yeah. that because I mean, or God forbid, they are because that means that they're they're not open to what's happening in the moment, right. and that means they're providing a cookie cutter machine right. performance that isn't going to be sensitive, say to their scene partner. Right. Right. That, that moment of it being live. So actually maybe they do know themselves and they're just a bad actor. Um, <laughs> but like what, what is interesting about immersive is that as, as you, when things start getting interactive or like the audience becomes drawn into the same plane, the bandwidth opens up between the performers and the audience and like how much, how much is passing between them is really, you know, that this is all like a set of sliders, you know, it's like, it's easy enough just to like kind of start sliding into 
they had immersive zone. Right. So, you know, I, I think in Los Angeles, I mean, in Los Angeles, we have a lot, you know, we're known for our 99 seat theater community or intimate theater, 99 seat and under. And so I think, you know, a big proscenium house is one thing. When you take intimate theater, that sort of heightens that energy exchange because there's a much more immediate connection uh, between the actor and the audience. First of all, you're just closer in proximity. And, and second of all, any one or two audience, you know, if you have really good laughers in the audience and there's two of you, that's really going to, you know, impact that one actor. Um, and then I think with with immersive and interactive theater, it kind of just blows the lid off of all of that and puts it on steroids. For, uh, one of the things I was excited about with Cuckoo's Nest is uh, the play, you know, in 60, the 62 play is like pretty wordy. It's very traditional and, and, and very 1962 in its in its writing style. Um, and so there's a lot of points that are boring or why do you care about certain characters? And so when we were able to introduce the audience to the characters before the show started, give them an opportunity to talk to them, to learn about them, to sort of think about them as a friend or develop a personal relationship with the actor. And the actors would, would if they like talk to somebody before the show, they'll continue like talking to the person during the show subtly or at least like making eye contact with them. Uh, you, you're, you care so much more about that character. So all of a sudden this minor character who breaks out into this 10 minute monologue that usually would put half the audience to sleep, all of a sudden you have the 10 or 15 audience members that that actor spent a lot of time with before the show started, and they really care what that person says because they think of them as their friend at that point. Mm. And I think that's a really powerful uh, thing that that immersive or interactive theatrical style can can create is that you, you the audience just, you know, the, the goal to me of any good, when, when we're using existing scripted works, the goal of any good immersive quote-unquote pre-show is to introduce the audience to the world of the show, the themes of the show, and just to make them, put them in the right mind space and make them care about the characters and the world before the show even starts. And, you know, a lot of directors or, 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 or uh, you know, tra- traditionalists will say, isn't that just putting a hat on a hat? Shouldn't the text do that for you? I hear that a lot. And I'm always sort of like, <laughs> and we, we had this when, we were, when I was trying to pitch the, the smells and the tastes to people. People would say, it's like, it's like putting a hat on a hat. The text is, is the text. We don't need to add all this extra stuff. I said, yeah, but if that's true, why do we have you know, scenic design and costume design and lighting design? You know, how often in the world when you fall in love does everything turn actual like rose color? No, it, this is all, it's just, you know, a lot of the stuff isn't part of the traditional theatrical vocabulary. It's no crazier than any of these other ideas. Yeah. Like, you don't have underscoring in real life, but that's just currently part of the traditional vocabulary. And so I, I usually think of, I, I think of when I'm attacking uh, a scripted show, uh, immersive, I consider another design element. I don't think, oh, we're choosing to do an immersive style. I think this is an additional design layer on top of the existing show. Um, I, you know, I think it's a tool in a toolkit, not necessarily the meal, if that may, those are yeah. sort of a mixed metaphor, but no, I mean, I, I get, I get what you're saying. Like it's, and it's definitely one of like two possible approaches to it. Right. Cause like one approach is to be like the experience is the point, which and, is yeah. true too. Yeah. And, and be like, and, and, and be, be rooted in that almost like the story, story and dialogue and performance is gonna, is gonna serve creating the experience. And then there is, there is like, okay, well, what can we do to, to bring in more of the audience? What can we do to bring in more of the senses into what's going on? Yeah. Because, because we are physically there. 
and not have it be like in some kind of ridiculous smell vision sense, right? I mean, it's funny. It's like, I think, I think of the fact that like 4DX movies are sold as immersive. And I was like, I was at KCON this past weekend um, and they, they had set up some 40x chairs because like the sure. company that, that puts on KCON, which is this KCON is, I don't even really understand what KCON is, but there's a, there's a K-pop concert and they, <laughs> they, 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 a bunch of like, like the K-pop acts like perform in the concert. But before that there's a con and like lots of K-pop fans come to it and they get to like meet people who they're trying to like push and break out because it's all, it's all like, imagine if the people, I guess the way Korean pop, specifically the music industry works. It's like, imagine if the people who created Backstreet Boys and New Kids on the Block controlled everything, right? Like it all worked that way. (laughs) Everything was a reality show that put together the band that they then carted out there. And that was, that was, that was normal. That was default. Anything else is weird. Yeah. Um, That's, that's from what I can tell is what K-pop is. And the companies around it can like build like this, this convention, they were, like the logistics division of the company that is the music label that runs all these acts had like a booth there, the logistics division. And they were pushing <laughs> the logistics. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Cause like they're, they're trying to like sell the company and, and sell, sell these, these aspects of Korean pop culture that are beyond just the pop music. And one of the things was the 40 X theaters, right? Like that's something that that company's invested in. So they had those there and in the 40 X, you know, like they're, they're, putting VR goggles on you for some of them now, or like they're popping smells at you and like the whole thing's moving yeah. like a roller coaster ride. And I just think of like, you know, yeah, you can like check tick boxes off and like, all right, so let's, let's give them the sense of a burning smell as we go through this battlefield here. But like, that's, that's using it like a blunt instrument as opposed to thinking, okay, what can we do? What can we do to like set the mood? And with the actors in this space, like what can we do to even like set the actors mood, yeah. right? I mean, that's that's a component of it. The actors are going to be experiencing the same thing. When we did, uh, we're switching off of Cuckoo's Nest and going towards uh, Last Five, our, the, the multi-sensory experience, which really I just used that name to be like, no, this isn't an immersive show. Don't expect Cuckoo's Nest Part Two, but it's also not a traditional play. Um, uh, one of the re- things that sold me on that piece is is the concept of scent. Last five years is a two actor musical, basically sort of a song cycle where where uh, it's the story of a relationship told from the end to the beginning, at the beginning to the end. So the woman, the female story is told. She starts the show and it's right after her husband leaves her, and it goes all the way to like the fir- their first date, and he goes from their first date to when he leaves her and they meet in the middle. Um, so time is really sort of, and there's very little speaking. It's pretty much entirely sung through. Almost like an operetta. So, yeah. uh, completely, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jason Robert Brown is the composer, and he's very much into his operettas. Um, and so, you know, I remember in college, my my girlfriend in college, she she was a, a psych major, and she had one time written a paper on my specifically my cologne, hmm. and just like the effects of my cologne on our, like her and our relationship. And I thought that was always sort of an interesting thing because scent, you know, is, is colloquially known as the strongest sense tied to memory. Right. And I think yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, it's very personal. Um, but I, you know, if this was a relationship and significant moments in a relationship, obviously we can't bring the audience literally into the relationship, you know, cause you, there's only two actors in the show. We, you, there's no real other people in there. So unlike Cuckoo's Nest where the audience had a very clear role, um, 
how, how else we sort of intentionally challenged ourselves. Cuckoo's Nest was very maximalist and, you know, we have hundred, you know, there's a clear role for everybody and, and, and there's, there's, you know, you can look and touch and, and, and experience everything. And, and, you know, it's very much, you were literally in, in the world and this show was how do we sort of emotionally bring you into the relationship without physically putting you in the room with them? Cause obviously we can't have the actor have an affair with an audience member, <laughs> right? Like, um, yeah, that, 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 that wouldn't, work. that, that, that wouldn't, you know, that would ruin the, the show. And so that's what I'm talking about. Immersive being a design element or not, you know, these, in, these elements, they have to match the show. And so I had, I was very interested in using scent as in the, in the same way you'd use underscoring or lighting. So like, you know, how, how there's a major key underscoring or a minor key underscoring or the, or the tempo that it's played out. It, you know, if you have a, a major key at a fast tempo that sets a very high energy, happy, positive mood. If you have a very slow, uh, minor core key underscoring, it's a, it's clearly sad. If you have certain types of lighting, it, it clearly conveys certain emotions. So I was curious if we could find sort of some of those archetypes with scent. So like you said, instead of doing, we did have like one Christmas moment where it did smell like a, a Christmas sort of time, but unlike, you know, usually the most common parallel was, oh, like uh, at Soren over California when it smells like oranges. I said, yes, but no, not because I wasn't interested in, oh, let's make it smell like cookies because cookies are being baked. I was more interested in finding emotional resonance. So can we create these sort of archetypical emotions in the same way you'd use underscoring? So like we'd use floral scents and 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 citrus to and and those sorts of lighter woods to convey kind of happier higher energy more positive uh emotions and like incense and smoke and dark wood like when he's cheating on her for instance a heavier emotion just sort of see experiment with that and see if that resonated and you know i, th- I think we did a, a pretty good job I, I would i would say i'm i'm 65 percent happy with what it was also just like trying to figure out the logistics of how to Diffuse it. Diffuse it. We yeah. went through a lot of options, uh, and our, our our scent designer Kristoff, uh, you you had him on, yeah, earlier. So he we collaborated on that project. Um, and it, I mean, the hardest thing is like clearing the palette, right? I mean, like sense sense lingers. Like I was, I went to a show. Ironically enough, also it was performed in one of the spaces around yeah. the, the Actors Theater, um, and they uh, the, there was there was a. There was a fart smell, and it was the <laughs> oh, uh, it was the second to last. Uh, a piece and like it was intense and like they managed to like blow it out there but they had to like they had to like dump some other scent to like kind of clear it through and it was like and there was still that little bit of linger you know if it's if it's strong enough you're going to be like oh boy you know I, it, it was kind of hilarious but also like it was just one of those like oh my god so, well, just no let's make it stop so I, yeah i think there was a couple of things one if there was a we we cued it very at very specific moments. So it wasn't like there was always a smell going. We had five different smells. We used, I think we probably had maybe 10 to 12 cues the entire show that, that used scent. Um, and they were used at very specific moments. One of the things, because of the timeline, it was also used to, used to help anchor the timeline because mm. it was very, sometimes it was unclear where in the relationship they were. So if we drop a scent in at the beginning of the show and then that same scent in sort of near the end of the show, they know, ah, this is the same moment in the relationship because the timelines never line up mm. in, in, in the chronological order. So it was also to help anchor the timeline. Um, or at least, you know, that was, that was the, the hope. Um, but you know, I, we, 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 you know, fortunately Christoph and I, and we, we spent a lot of time queuing it and placing the boxes and that, that was just worked out. Um, 
first of all, none of the scents were overpowering for any significant period of time. We, we, you know, we just sat there with timers and diffused it and would change the length of the queue and how much oil we put in the, basically what we did is we had plywood boxes. We had scent, um, scent diffuse, scent oil soaked beads, mm-hmm. scent beads. Uh, and we just had like very cheap Amazon fans and just like you'd queue a lighting queue. We had it connected to the board and just, it was a t- link to a queue and you would hit it and the fan would turn on and blow that scent out for 30 seconds and then it would turn off. Um, but it kind of would blow at the audience in waves. So it just, it wouldn't hit you immediately when it turned on. So we had to time it like ahead of time to make sure it hit you at the right moments. Um, and then we also had an issue where there was an air conditioning in the room and that changed the airflow. Oh boy. So that was, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a work in progress. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to move us forward yeah. to the, um, to the, to the invitational. Oh, sure. In, yeah. In part because, uh, uh, a circumstance in the last five years, yeah. uh, create the opportunity for the invitational uh and also because i can hear uh the gardeners circling the house with their blowers and they're about (laughs) to cause problems so you're gonna say why we wound up with the invitational while i take my headphones off and make sure a window gets closed here good got it (laughs) you keep talking sure um I do have one thing to say about, about the, the cocktails, but I'll talk about that later. Uh, anyway, so the, the invitational came. We had we were very blessed to have two um, pr- pretty well-known, famous television film actors. Uh, one's Scott Porter. He's most known for playing Jason Street on Friday Night Lights. He was a, a lead in a TV show Heart of Dixie. He's been in a lot of movies. Uh, and Janelle Parrish is most known as playing the role of Mona in Pretty Little Irish. She's also into All the Boys I Loved Before and now two and three, which will be coming out shortly. Uh, it's pretty cool because I don't think there's ever been an immersive or non-traditional show with like an actor with 7 million Instagram followers to like, mm. maybe there has, I don't know. Evan Rachel Wood has spent time oh, has in, she? Uh, in Sleep No yeah. More. So, oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah. still, it, but, it, 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 it's, but first it was Sleep No More. So it wasn't, nothing was ever like sold and then they didn't sell like, oh, I mean, I think it was. Right. I, I think it was yeah. just brave of her to like, be like, yeah, yeah I'm into this. I want to try this. And of course, last five years is like a really good show for that. But anyway, so we, we, I had a, I had a, put a, a date on, on how long we could book the, sh- the show back in like January before we even had the actors attached to it. And I had just said, okay, I'd like us to run this amount of time, which is just ran into when the venue had their next booking. And so it was like about three, three and a half months. And uh, we ran a long time, but, all, but there was one weekend where both Scott and Janelle and their understudies were all out of the country. Uh, and, and this was like in like our 11th of 13 weeks. And so I, I, I that would have started our 12th of 13 weeks. And I said, they were, you know, we, I was like, we're not going to recast just for like one week of a run or two weeks of a run. Let's just end it. We've had a good run. And, but I prepaid for the space. So, so I said, you know, this was like, I think sort of the middle end of July. Uh, and instead of just letting the space sit there for a couple weeks, we were just kind of like, well, what can we do with the space that we have? And I, <laughs> I, I think we a couple of days earlier we had joked like oh we could probably do a better immersive show in forty eight hours than than this thing that we had seen I won't say name what it is, um, and I said well why don't why don't we literally do that, um, you know I, I known people I've I've done forty eight hour film festivals before and I always thought they were fun and you learned a lot doing it and I you know I hadn't seen many events where the L A immersive community got together and like created under one roof together. Um, and one of the, one of my goals is we, we've been always very, you know, we've been very pretty firmly trenched in terms of entrenched in the traditional theater community, although we've never made an active effort to really network too much. But I, I wanted to become wanted us to make become more actively involved in building the community, because I think the immersive community has a lot more 
potential. I think the traditional theater community is a little bit jaded right now, and there's a lot of drama between the companies. But I don't really get that as much from the uh, the immersive community. So I think we just thought it would be cool to bring everybody under one roof. And uh, yeah, I just kind of had the idea. I said, "This guys, does this sound like a good idea?" And they said, "Yeah, this seems like a, a cool idea. Let's let's do it." And it didn't require too much preparation. We could do it a week after striking our other show. And I pretty much this like Cuckoo's Nest came together in, in like you know twelve hours. So so too did this. And I, I think I had I texted everybody at like two in the morning, like, "Hey, what do you guys think about this idea?" And they're like, "Okay." And I'm like, "Okay, cool. I'm gonna go go uh, hit up Noah to see if he he's." He, he'll support it. You and I didn't really know each other very well at no, all. No, we, like, we like met, like we, we toured a building at one point together and like, yeah. you know, that was like, and then we became Facebook friends because of that. So then like you like messaged me and I think my first reaction was like, oh, I've always wanted to do a 48 hour film festival type thing. Like literally for like years now, I've been yeah. like, oh, this, this would be fantastic. I was like, when is this happening? And you're like, oh, in three weeks. I'm like, and I didn't say to you that. I was like, oh God, we're going to crash and burn. Like, but I did say like, oh, everybody's a little busy right now because we're about to be in hot season. But, but we did manage between, between the two of us, we managed to find like three companies and then a, an ad hoc group of people yeah. uh, who had the bandwidth, uh, yep. like two, a company that had just closed a show. I think two companies that just closed a show, one company that like wasn't cycling at the moment. And then either you or KJ or somebody like found some friends who yep. like are designers who like came through and did an ad hoc and like, good God, it like restored me. Right. Yeah, like, it, was it was awesome. It was so like, it, 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 like it, the, the testament to like the creativity that's inherent in the scene, because like this, so the companies were, so uh, Corinne Wicks, who's a choreographer, yep. she, she brought her team together. Uh, she's about to, to be doing a remount of, uh, I love you so much. Squeeze me to death, which was her, her, her performance piece that was out at highways. Uh, I think it's going to appear again at the bootleg in October. Yeah. I think we're going to get coffee to talk about next week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, ha- uh, the halogen company, uh, uh, Julia Henning, yep. uh, who wor- has worked with, who's everybody. worked with like everybody, like everybody. speakeasy and Justin fix and like all around. And they had just done a, they had just done a, a riff on, a riff on, on Sartre like a few weeks earlier. Uh, and so I was like, Hey, like, I know you guys just like did something. Do you want to, do you want to jump in on this? And then you grabbed Shinbone. Yeah. Uh, and then there was like this like ad hoc group that like didn't exist. Who yeah. did, who did amazing work themselves? Yeah. 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 That was just a friend of mine. Or he wasn't even a friend. He had seen Cuckoo's Nest. He, he worked, <laughs> he worked at Disney and hit me up after. And he's like, yo, I'd like love to like take you out to lunch and just talk to you about this. And so we'd been trying to find a reason to like do something together. And we, we had a, a late drop. And so I was like, Oh, I'm gonna hit up Jansen and see if he he wants to try this. And because I also I was just curious to see how good his work was because I hadn't worked with him before, and it seemed like a pretty low pressure way to like say, hey, like, is he any good? Uh, and and yeah, he, he, the answer he, is yes. The answer yeah. was yeah, he was yeah. great. Um, he and, and his little team. But yeah, no, it, it was really super just exciting and inspiring. And my mom and dad when they they, they come to everything. And they were like, I haven't seen you like this relaxed and like happy at like one of your shows. Because usually I'm like working box office and stressed and everyone's like, Graham, 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 problem, problem. And oh, here I was yeah. just like, this is so fun because I'm just help, helping support these other artists like do their their pieces. And, you know, it's low pressure because it's 48 hours. But even though like theoretically it was low pressure, the groups took it so seriously. Oh, my God. They brought their like like there was Corinne Wick's piece like. Like oh. everyone, everyone's stuff was good, but I, like that piece, I was like, "Oh, this is art!" Like yeah. this was like, oh, yeah. 
I mean, that's a piece that I'm, I'm desperate to see remounted, like, so that more people can experience it. Like, afterwards, part of the thing I was trying to figure out, like, oh, how can we make the math work on this? Like, how can we possibly, and the math would be very, very, very hard. Like, outside <laughs> of a festival setting, I don't think you could do that piece. But, like, oh, my goodness. It, just like, I, yeah, I, when I saw it, so we, we gave them, we, we brought the companies together Friday night in our space, which we had divvied up into four sort of unique spaces. Um, including like the dressing room, for example, and uh, we gave them some some limitations on it. So they had to use a specific line, they had to use a specific unique prop, they had to use whatever space they were assigned, and there was just sort of a general theme that the that the piece pieces all had to to encompass. And they had fifteen minutes. Was the time. I think people may have fudged around. Oh, or like, for trading for trading. No, 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 fifteen minutes. Like that was the link. Oh, oh right, right, yeah. Like, yeah. I think something's like I, a little, I wasn't, a little older, yeah, yeah. Immersive is hard to keep it exact. Yeah, as long as it was, I did, that was really just for logistics of it. Yeah, um, but I, I mean, within 24 hours, Corinne's piece I saw on Saturday night, it was like almost done. They had like you know done like webcamming and puppetry and and queued it all, and they brought a whole design team in there, and a couple of companies brought full design teams in, which was I think every company sort of approached it differently because you had Corinne's group and Halogen brought like full on production companies and like. Uh, Halogen like wrote an entire script, which was like really quite complex and moving. And Corinne's team did an entire, I think the script was like, they knew the beats, but it was largely improvised, but just the design was, was so intricate and detailed. And then you had Shinbone approach it where they're just like, we're going to bring in like 25 actors and just overwhelm you, which worked for their piece. Uh, And, and then Jansen's group uh, or long shot, they kind of just went for like realism and nostalgia and, and, and just really detailed design and, and, but, but and the pieces were evolving over the course of like the the, the run as well because there's like there's like a preview earlier in the day yeah. and then there's like three or three or four runs that night and I know I know I know that uh, like the sleepover one like definitely like evolved during the course definitely. of the day because I had like compared notes with someone else so like oh what was it like when you guys did it? like well they didn't do this and I was like what do you mean because I said like oh this happened and that happened and they're like oh what and I was like oh that was like that didn't happen for I was like yeah they changed things and that that was actually the fun part of it like, these were these were living works uh, and and just as a to, good immersive work should be yeah and and I just I I loved I loved the format like I loved the idea that we can kind of prove to folks that something compelling can be put together in a, in a short amount of time and that, and that that thing is then, and it's also so much those people's, right? Like it's like that, that you got, I got such a sense of like, I've I've seen, yeah. And like, and, and I mean, I've seen Corinne's work. I mean, I'd seen everybody but Longshot's work and I could feel like that was sort of quintessentially yeah. the voice of each of those companies. And that I think was also, that was also really a lot of the intent for me is, oh, I'm curious what kind of designers we'd potentially want to collaborate with or what, what kind of people. And we fortunately ended up with a pretty young sort of hungry group of, of teams, which I think was the right kind of, obviously in retrospect was definitely the right kind of direction to go with this. Um, but like, for example, Corinne's work, which is largely movement based, that's never something that's you know, I, I've always sort of watched dance and like, that's beautiful, but I don't really get it per se. But like the way they incorporated the scenic and the design and the words and the movement, it was like for one of, it was probably the first time I've ever been like, oh my God, I get exactly what they're trying to, to say with this movement. Um, 
Yeah, I, felt, like, I feel like I felt every human emotion in that co- piece. Like completely. I was, I was almost dying of laughter, and then I wanted to cry. But, but oh, so yeah. as I was saying, Saturday night after, you know, this was 24 hours before the thing had to even go on. When I got home from, from the venue at like 2 in the morning, I was like sitting there brushing my teeth, and I was still like thinking about it. <laughs> I was, I was, and I was like laughing at things that happened, and, and I was like, wow, this is a really, really powerful thing. And it just got, it just got better as, as you know, I, all of them got better, but, but. I, I saw, that was the only one I saw in a near complete form Saturday to Sunday. Um, but yeah, it was that was one of the coolest things was just getting to experience stuff that w- would not normally be con- I'd consider sort of my aesthetic or my style. And and you know if you'd said oh a movement based thing I'd be like I'm sure I'm sure it's beautiful but it's never going to be something that is really going to resonate with me. And after I was just like shaken to my core, like you said, it was art. Yeah. Um, but it was it was still accessible. Yeah. Art. Uh, it was very clear what they were trying to do. And, and he's not, he's not being hyperbolic because like uh, he came out of it like before I went in and he was like, like you were, you were in a state when yeah. you saw it. And and so were other people. Like I could tell, I was like, something's going on over there. Yeah. And that's, that was actually another fun thing about, about the whole, the whole of it is like, you'd be standing around waiting for something to go. And like you watch people coming out of stuff or going into stuff or these little moments of like people popping out of doors and that, that world sort of spilling out. Yeah. And if you hadn't sometimes seen it, literally yeah and and if you hadn't seen it yet you were like what's going on there and if you had you were like oh yeah this is the, yeah yeah okay yeah 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 here they are uh and just it just felt like it felt like things were happening like when immersive's popping off for me like it's like it's a happening yeah right? there's there's a thing going on and you know you can't maybe you can't entirely put your finger on it but it just it there's a vibrancy yeah. to the whole thing yeah yeah and it was the first i mean for me personally it was the first sense First time I ever really felt like being a, a part of the immersive community, which was really very exciting, and I think a lot of a lot of the groups are, are um, you know, meeting up and talking about doing works or at least exchanging notes. And I think one of the cool things that that we talked about too is that most of the groups got to see each other's works. I think anybody who wanted to see everybody's work had the opportunity to do so, which is not something that always happens. And so that was really nice. Yeah, particularly like festivals can be hard for people catching catching folks' work, and I think. And that's something for like people who are designing festivals should we really be thinking about because you get the advantage of you know like if, if you're at a film festival for instance yeah, you know you, can, you, watch you can watch all the movies you want the only the only movies you can't watch are the ones that are directly opposite your film yeah. if you're a filmmaker and that's the joy of it uh, and if you're a performance festival like you know you're performing and yeah it can be it can be hard to catch yeah. other stuff so like resources can be difficult but like giving people the the room to breathe and and catch stuff like does a lot to form it I mean. Honestly, like the reason why we started years ago, like before, yeah. before Leia had a name and it was just these brain trust meetings we would have, you know, that we would just like wouldn't tell people, you know, about, uh, the whole point was to do exactly what we did that weekend, get the companies knowing each other and hopefully get them seeing each other's works and start that cross pollinization and cross collaboration. Yeah. Uh, because interesting stuff comes 100%. when, when artists who have different points of view start playing with each other and in, in a very positive way I think one of, one of the things that we did we, we both did well in terms of organizing it is we made it very clear like everyone's a winner this isn't about like who wins or loses the competition it's just about having fun networking networking creating something cool and I don't think a single company that I noticed and a lot of them said this to me had like any real moments of intense stress or yelling or breaking down which sometimes happens in like a short you know like a 48 hour kind of situation that's sort of expected because yeah. people are low on sleep and you know high pressure but uh, I don't think that happened at all, and I think that created a really nice environment where people were all helping each other and wanting to help play test each other. Um, and also, I, I don't know how much of that is is being a, a bunch of, of younger artists too that that are. 
I, I don't, I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think combination of like that low stakes, the fact that like the fact that, you know, everyone was going to have a chance to walk with something and it wasn't like, you know, like I mean, you, you put a thousand dollars up and like the prices were divvied out. So like everyone got something and yeah. it wasn't like all, Oh, one. And, and they got a stipend and, and they got a stipend. Yeah. To, yeah. So they got, they got money to produce a thing. They got fed and you know, yeah. there was, there, there was prize money broken up, but it wasn't like one person's getting a thousand dollars and everyone else like Correct. tough. Right. Cause that wasn't, that wasn't the point, the point at all. No, right? you know, um, and and I just I'm I'm excited about that as a, as a model, and I'm excited yeah. about what it can what it could do. I, I mean, mean, I think we, we both are definitely agree this is happening again. Oh yeah, it's happening again in 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 some context, yeah. and that's that's a that's a longer conversation when microphones yes. aren't, aren't <laughs> turned on. How are we making this one go again, um, Graham? What's what's on the horizon for you right now? I mean, like you just, you just wrapped a big, I mean, that's probably your big show of the year, right? So, or you got, <laughs> oh no. It's funny. Well, that's probably our big, yes. our big show of the year. Right. Uh, but that's not necessarily, we have a lot of stuff um, coming. Uh, uh, so immediately right now, starting next week, my second bedroom in my condo is being turned into a Twitch live stream studio where we're starting a sort of an interactive music and musical theater page. I have a, I have a buddy oh, wow. who has a, he, um, a friend, Leland Frankel from Shinbone Theater yeah. Company introduced us. Um, that's not my, him, oh, my yeah. friend's name is VJ. VJ was the, uh, one of the two heads of, of a YouTube channel called AV Byte, which has like half a billion views and over a million subscribers of all pure uh, original musical theater content. And so he, we, we kind of met through Leland and he had sort of, casually mentioned like, oh, I'd love to do sort of like a Twitch, you know, a lot of the, the, the real excitement and money and stuff is, is going into Twitch right now more than YouTube. Um, and I want to do something that's sort of like a cabaret kind of space on YouTube that sort of features music and musical theater. And I said, that's something that could be really awesome and really has a lot of potential because one of the big problems with live performance, of course, is if you don't sell tickets that exact second or you don't have the audience in the room, it, it dies. So one of the cool things about being able to put something on on, a, on an interactive channel like Twitch is you could still have audience interaction. You mm. can sell, but you could sell tickets to people in Saskatchewan who might not have access to good theater. I, you know, with, with all due respect to Saskatchewan's theatrical community. Yeah. Um, we just don't know. We just don't know. <laughs> we don't have, and, the, we don't and, have evidence and, one and so, yeah, so, we're, so we're, we're turning this into a studio. It's going to be a lot of uh, music, musical theater. I think it'll start kind of like a piano bar kind of thing. We'll probably bring in composers and act. We'll have like probably a regular cast and then bring in sort of like special guests every stream. But we have a lot of ideas in terms of like incorporating like, you know, there's a lot of directions it could go. My dream would be to have like a full-blown uh immersive or interactive piece where like we could get a house and like set up like 30 cameras and the audience could like click between the rooms and have a, and, and like really dictate what what's happening and they could all rewatch everything and you know i mean th this is this is down the line twitch but, plays sweeney todd right it, start securing their rights now right so, right totally yeah. but and and even ori original works with with, yeah. with good composers um and so you know i think there's a lot of potential there and, and hopefully it can solve you know if we can meet some, you know, sponsors and, 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 and interesting people. We can help maybe fund future shows. We can live stream shows that we're doing, especially if they're original or if we have the per permission of the people to make a little bit of extra income. And also I just think it's a fun way to network and it's a fun thing to do with your friends. So that's something that's happening in my house. Um, <laughs> probably the rest of the year. I think we'll, you know, we'll start doing probably three or four days a week initially. Um, they said they recommend doing 10 to 12 hours, which is nice because I really don't know anything about, about YouTube, but my partner, does very well and has a lot of connections. So that's really nice. 
um, we're uh, we're working on the immersive design for a large scale musical that will be being staged in Los Angeles. It's announced, but I don't know if I, I don't feel comfortable saying what it is. I can tell you when the mics are off, but yeah. um, very exciting because it's the whole. This is a show that was on Broadway for many years. The whole original team with all the Tony nominees and stuff from it are still working on it on the production end. Usually when I hear that, I, I was nervous, like, oh, they're not going to really know what they're doing or they're not going to, but no, they have really good ideas. Um, and so I'm very excited and very curious to see how it all comes together. It's extremely ambitious. Fortunately, it's it's not my, it's just my, you know. It, it's your it, team, not your it, money. So yeah. you're Right, exactly. Yeah, and we're just doing, you know, part of the design. We're not actually yeah. doing too much. With, you're with, subcontracting. So. Correct, yeah. yeah. So so I'm, I'm very excited about that. And that will be happening probably a lot through September and October. I think it'll be opening, hopefully, ideally at the end of October. Um, those, those are probably the two immediate things that are coming up. I know that was sort of long-winded. I, I apologize. No, it's, it's like, it's, I think there's there's things for folks to look forward to. And, yeah. and I think when the mics are off, I'll, I'm going to say what I think you were just talking about. Uh, sorry, everyone. I, I, I will not guess publicly. Um, but uh, but also, like it's it, there's some things that have been announced. So it should be yeah, right, people, right. people should be able to figure that one Correct. out. Correct. Uh, we just want to make sure you don't blow your NDA by accident. <laughs> don't wanna, you don't want to lose a gig. I, I don't think we have an NDA, but yeah. I still don't. I don't, I don't you don't want to wanna lose a gig. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, you know, that's some stuff for the next few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that right. would be some people's entire years, what you just described. So, yeah. My, of, and of yeah. course, we still have that, like, are we going to be produced by Center Theater Group? We have all those applications yeah. and interviews. So we have a busy end of the year. It's good to be busy. <laughs> I do want to do a fully immersive, a fully original immersive piece. I think that's something that I'd like to do at some. I don't know exactly when that's happening, but that is something I really want to do. I, I got a feeling you guys will do that. Yeah, yeah, I have no doubt in my mind. So, Graham, how do people find you guys? Uh, we are on all social medias: Facebook, uh, we're After Hours Theater Company. Theater is spelled with uh, R E at the end. Uh, our Twitter, is, or excuse me, our Instagram is at After Hours Theater Co. Uh, I don't know our Twitter handle off the top of my head. <laughs> I don't tweet. I think KJ does that. Yeah, but the website um, and the website is the website is afterhourstheatercompany.com. Yeah. yeah, and that's also how people if they want to after hours if they want to get you yeah check that one because because like because you guys are also taking you know you're taking gigs outside of what you're doing so if people are interested uh, they can reach out to you through that. Graham is triple checking. It's like I want to make sure I got the dot com right. Is it well, so? So at one point we added company. Oh, it's afterhourstheater.com. There's no company because that'd be redundant, I guess, a little bit. That's uh, true. Yeah. Afterhourstheaterre.com. Um, yeah, we, we we originally after hours theater, and then our publicist at one point was like, uh, "You're not you're not like a space. You're a you're yeah. a company. So yeah. you need to you need to say you're a company." And I was like, "Okay, if you think it's going to make a difference." And so we changed it like two years in. <laughs> Gotta do with the publicist side. Yeah. So, all right, Graham, thanks for uh, thanks for swinging sure. out today. Of course, thanks for having me, Noah. Once again, want to thank Graham Wetterhan for being our guest on the show today. You can find After Hours Theater Company at, and I know this is going to come as a great shock to you. After Hours Theater, that's with the R-E, dot com. Ooh. Also, you know, show notes. Always check the show notes. Hey, always check the show notes. Always check everything immersive this week. There's, there's a 
bunch of stuff going on. In fact, I just remembered some stuff that I have due. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's another project I got to do this weekend. Man, it's going to be a busy weekend, particularly since uh, I'm, I'm traveling off world on Monday, so I got to do extra work. Um, there is so much going on. One of the things is uh, do check uh, the recent EITW because uh, September 9th is the deadline for uh, the Vancouver um, uh, International Film Festival's Immersed uh, financing market that is uh, co-produced with Kaleidoscope. They are looking to fund projects, both uh, digital XR and live XR uh, immersive projects. Uh, so there is uh, there's there's some judging going on. I am one of the judges. Uh, like. Me telling you this is not like, oh, great, no one's going to do things. I already have the ones in that I've got to judge. That was the thing that I remembered. It's like, I got to do that. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't already, throw in uh, because uh, this is a great opportunity to get stuff going for you. Um, you know, in L.A., the heat comes in September, and so it doesn't feel like summer until September. And yet the magic of Labor Day is that even though there's still like another 20 days technically of, of summer, we all know that it's like, it's the beginning of fall, you know, spooky seasons here, pumpkin spices everywhere in every form in a disturbing way. And I like pumpkin spice. Um, something has changed. Uh, I don't want to jinx myself. I don't want to talk about, you know, feeling buoyant. And yet I do. I mean, you know, I float, but whatever. We all, we all float here. Um, I, I, I have hope. I can see it again. Pandora's box has let out all the nasties and they're flying around and they're screaming and they're wailing and they're tempting children into dark corners. And yet, there is hope. There are bright spots. There are things like the Vancouver Immersed that's coming up that we're going to. Without Walls is coming. Indicate is coming. There's other stuff. <laughs> I was going to say a couple things. And I was like, I can't say that right now. There's so much work going on right now. Uh, someone was noting that in L.A. it's a little weird because like it feels like there's less um, on the spooky season side this year. And I think there's some it gets a little weighted towards the traditional haunts this year. Uh, uh, we do have a creep. Uh, the creep is a little more on the freaky side than necessarily on the haunted side, but it's still definitely creep. Uh, Delusion's got a piece coming up. Um, so it's it's a different kind of season this year. But what's amazing is that the pace of the immersive work has not slowed down in the least. There is a ton of it. There is more than ever before in all new forms as well. Uh, one of the things you can check out, uh, I wrote a preview of it this week, is Dr. Botcher's over at 2-Bit Circus, which uh, I'm just going to come out and say it. Like, if you love Operation as a kid, this is like the the, the, the grown-up-ish version of that. Um, it it's feels like you're in a sketch from The Muppet Show. Um, and all the things that I couldn't I couldn't write because it might be bad to write those things um, uh, from like the sense of like someone going, what do you mean? Um, that's the feeling I got 
that's the feeling I'm pretty sure they're going for. And it was an absolute delight, and I look forward to going to it again. And just if, if you've been thinking about 2-Bit Circus, now that Dr. Botris is there, there's there's no reason not to go check that out and all the other stuff that they have available for you to play with. Um, I'm just, I'm feeling optimistic. I'm feeling optimistic, and it's been a rough year, so it's been hard to feel optimistic. And yet, there's just enough green shoots right now that that the smile reaches my eyes. So uh, thank you all for staying on this journey. <laughs> I just said that. <laughs> we'll let it stand. There's so much more to come. There's so much work that needs to be done. Um, thank you all who support the podcast um, via the Patreon and indeed all we do. Spread the word. Um, if, if giving money isn't your thing for whatever reason, and I get it, trust me, I get it. Uh, Spreading word and sharing what we do is so important, uh, not just for us, but it helps grow the overall audience. Um, that's the mission. No Pro started as uh, an audience building exercise so that immersive creators would have an audience uh, that stood uh, above and beyond just a single company's work, right? Like the 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 diagnosis that I saw in Los Angeles was that theater companies tend to have their audience and there isn't as much an audience for theater. There's an audience for CTG. There's an audience for, you know, company Z. There's an audience for, uh, rogue artists ensemble, um, rogue machine. Um, there's, uh, an audience for the fringe. And yes, there is a, a subset of that of people who go to theater, but it's, it's not as robust as it could be. And, uh, we swore, we, we we swore that it would be more, and we swore uh, that we would do whatever it takes, and uh, that's what we've been doing. So let's keep it going. All right, let's do the credits of this wild and woolly show that we have here. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You might have heard of them. They're doing the Johnny Cycle right now. Chris is also the main writer on that, so maybe you want to check that out. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. You can join them at patreon.com slash nopersinium. We do need your help. We do need you to spread the word. You can find everything we do at nopersinium.com. You can follow us on our Instagram. That is a super amazing channel because there's all these takeovers from companies all the time no underscore proscenium oh, that reminds me of some stuff i want to tell you about uh there's just more there's more all the time there's a giant edit queue i gotta get back to editing i gotta get back to meetings i gotta go make the rest of the site for you so i'm gonna go do that right now and until next time i'll see you at the show 